Hi, I'm Juliette Schooling-Latter, Research Director at Fun Calibre, and I'm here with Managing Director Darius McDermott, looking ahead to 2020. After a worrying end to 2018, 2019 turned out to be a good year for stock markets. Amidst a backdrop of a global economic slowdown and trade wars rumbling on, the US central bank took action. It paused its interest rate rises and then subsequently cut rates. Europe and the UK followed, as did the central banks of many other countries, and stock markets rose. But what does 2020 hold in store for investors? Today we're going to review what some of the elite-rated fund managers we have interviewed recently had to say about the outlook for various markets. But first, Darius, what are your thoughts going into 2020? 2020 looks like being a really interesting year. Uh, The major thing happening in the US is uh, the presidential election, and I think that will probably be the dominant factor in markets globally. In the UK, unfortunately, we will still be talking about Brexit. Uh, At least post-election, we have some clarity on which way we're heading, but actually getting the trade deal and everything done will will, will still be an overhanging issue for 2020. I'm hopeful for another reasonable year for equities, but I do expect bond markets to be a bit more difficult. In the UK, we've already seen the stock market breathe a sigh of relief and a rally on the back of that general election result. If global fund managers believe that the outlook for the UK is now more positive, they may reallocate to UK equities. Even if that goes back to a neutral position, that buy-sell demand should push stock markets higher. Recently, we had an investment trust dinner and we were lucky enough to be joined by Joe Curtis, who is the manager of the City of London Investment Trust. And he agrees that there is value in UK equities. Well, I think there's some great value on offer, in particular the stock market yields slightly over 4%. That means the dividend yield is over 4%. So when you compare, you know, an interest rates are still incredibly low and you get only 0.75 bank in the base rate, what you get in a cash ISA or what you get in fixed interest, I think the dividend yields attract. And we've got some great companies, we've got some real global leaders. And I think, you know, if some of those domestic issues are a bit more uncertain in the domestic economy, then we could see a sort of strong bounce of some of the domestic stocks within the UK stock market. So I'm, I'm pretty positive going forward, actually. In the US, Donald Trump has managed to both tie his presidential success to the US stock market and influence its direction. In his quest for a second term, we believe he will do everything in his power to both avoid recession and keep the stock market climbing higher. Investors can take some comfort from the historical performance of the US stock market in the run-up to a presidential election. A study of election cycles between 1952 and 2000 showed an investor holding a portfolio of stocks that mirrored the S&P 500 in the 27 months preceding a US election saw significant returns anywhere between 16 and 70 percent, depending on the election year. However, as a useful counterpart, the same study found bear markets, defined as a decline of 15 percent or more in the value of the S&P 500 historically tend to happen in the first and second years of presidential terms. So 2021 might not be as good. Peter Ewins, manager of BMO Global Smaller Companies Investment Trust, also believes the US election will become more significant for stock markets as the year unfolds. 
I think we're all starting to think about the election in, in America. I mean, uh, we were talking about it in the office today, and ultimately we're still not clear who the two candidates are running that election will be. Um, the agendas of the Democrat and re Republican uh, side could be quite different. Um, and so we are conscious of some parts of the market being potentially vulnerable to a, to a, change, of, a change of administration. Um, so, um, you know, companies that maybe operate private prisons um, would, be, would be vulnerable. Um, some aspects of the healthcare system could be changed, uh, but ultimately, um, it seems you know it's really too early to judge who's going to win that election. <laughs> yeah. But we are conscious that uh, you know that uh, that is in coming closer to um, to something to be, be conscious of at the moment. Brexit has also left European equities and companies under a bit of a cloud. In fact, even though they did have a strong rally in the second half of this year. But now there is a clear mandate following the general election. Will the outlook be more positive for European, for Europe too? Here's what Graham Clapp, manager of the RWC Continental European Fund, had to say. I think the outlook for European equities in 2020 is, is pretty good. Um, I mean, you might think that uh, with the European equities up over 20% this year, that maybe they're a little bit extended, but you have to remember that they did fall 10% or so in 2018. So valuations on average look pretty attractive. Obviously, um, the, uh, the, the range or the, uh, of, of valuations has expanded. And one of the, the things about that is that in next year, we see a very good environment for stock picking. Whereas uh, certainly the first half of 2019 was all about valuation changes. Um, in 2020, we think the market and share prices are going to be driven by uh, perform fundamental performance of companies. And that's a great environment for stock, pick stock pickers such as ourselves. Meanwhile, in Asia, trade wars have been taking their toll. But it's not all doom and gloom, as Mark Hammonds and Edmund Harris, co-managers of Guinness Asian Equity Income Fund, told us recently. The first point I would say is that Asia still is a growth story, but it has developed substantially over the last 15, 20 years. So it's moved beyond just being about growth from a low base. But you now have a landscape where there are many more economic participants. So consumers um, are present and a big part of the economy now. And this, the industries and the businesses that serve this consumer base um, are by and large now cash generative, well-established businesses and quite mature. And as a consequence, they're not having to, to reinvest at the same rates that they were. Um, they're generating cash now, generating enough to reinvest and enough to distribute. I think just to, just to add to that, one of the things that the, the trade war has sort of highlighted is how, just how entrenched some of the supply chains are in China. And we've seen, certainly in the, in the short term, quite a big uptick in activity in, in Vietnam as, as manufacturers try and relocate outside of China. But actually, that you know you start to see other problems that that causes, such as um, a shortness in, in, in the labor markets um, and manufacturers struggling because not all of the components can be produced in, in the country, whereas in China you've got a much more integrated supply chain. So if anything, it, it does tend to highlight the, um, the key role that, that China plays in, in global trade. And the result of a trade dispute may mean that Chinese companies will need to establish factories in other parts of the region, um, and supply chains will have to adjust, and they, they, they almost certainly will, although we haven't seen a lot of evidence of that happening 
just yet, but that is that is clearly a trend. And Matthew Dobbs, manager of Schroeder Asian Alpha Plus, thinks that the trade tariffs and political issues have resulted in pent-up demand. I think the one big swing factor that I think people are kind of not so focused on as a general thing. So we've got specifics, whether it's politics or you know, environment and carbon or whether it's uh, tariffs, is that actually we live in a world where it's very difficult to make long-term planning. Um, and if that was resolved, and that is an issue of tariffs, it's an issue of politics, it's an issue of um, the whole... Uh, existential issues facing some industries, whether it's energy or autos. But as that gets a bit clearer, I think, particularly in Asia, there's a lot of pent-up demand from uh, the sort of capital spending side, uh, whether that's automation or expansion uh, or moving production out of China to Vietnam or elsewhere in the region. And I think once sort of businesses have got more clarity in which they can actually plan, because at the moment they don't. If they get that, then I think one might be surprised by the inflection point. Within Asia, India has long been a firm favourite of ours at Fund Calibre, as demographics, with its young and entrepreneurial and increasingly educated population, coupled with the pro-business reforms of Prime Minister Modi, make it appealing over the long term. Here's what Anna Maheshwari, Chief Investment Officer of IIFL Asset Management, had to say about the outlook. I think India is coming out of a bit of a broad bump as far as growth is concerned. Last year has been fairly slow, and I think we're looking at a reversion back up uh, over the course of next year. Uh, the uh, important thing, though, for markets is uh, profits of companies. Finally, that's what drives market returns. And interestingly enough, uh, after a patch of about seven years of fairly low growth in corporate earnings in India, we're actually looking for a fairly sharp pickup in the coming year. Uh, in, that's also been partly helped by the fact that the government has cut taxes, just like we've seen in the U.S. Uh, some time ago. And that has given an additional fillip uh, one time to earnings. So the next year's earnings outlook looks a lot brighter for India. Uh, that should be driven largely by the financial services sector, which is becoming an increasingly larger part of India and the stock market as well. Uh, so the key to investing in India, which uh, I must emphasize, is to give it time. Um, you know, you shouldn't. People tend to see emerging markets and India, particularly, sometimes as a bit of a flavor of the season market. But uh, we have enough statistics that we've done on the past and analysis that suggests to us that the optimal time frame for investing in India is normally a five-year cycle. And uh, very rarely, if at all, in a five-year period would you have negative returns from the Indian market. Uh, so to that extent, uh, I think that's the time dimension which people should have in mind when you're coming to a market like India, but the returns can be fairly good. Um, and I think, uh, as I mentioned, a 12 to 14 percent sort of return expectation in dollar terms would be quite reasonable at this point in time, given where growth is uh, heading over the course of the next year. Japan is another market we currently like at Fund Calibre. The stock market is still reasonable value and Prime Minister Abe's economic reforms are really starting to make a difference after decades of stagnant growth. Peter Ewan likes the markets too. 
At the moment, we think Japan opera is, is, is a relatively attractive place, um, relatively safe in terms of politics, um, obviously impacted by China and, and the US sort of trade, but ultimately relatively stable. Um, we think corporate governance is inching forward. Um, we're seeing you know better return, target, return on equity targets for companies in Japan now being set out. So we think that there is um, some attraction to Japan at the moment. Of course, equities aren't the only investment in town. What about bonds? Can the 35-year-plus bull market continue when more than $13 trillion worth of global bonds have a negative yield? It suggests care needs to be taken. Here's what Jim Levis, manager of M&G Global Macro Bond, had to say. I think if you look at all the bond asset classes, it's hard to see huge amounts of value in government bonds for the reasons we just talked about. You may make a little bit um, as a result of capital appreciation. Corporate bonds we do have in the portfolio, and I think there are certain areas and sectors where you still get yields that overcompensate you for the risks that you take. And again, European Central Bank's going to come in and buy these things again, and maybe other central banks in, in the future. I think the areas that we should be looking at when you try and find absolute value now, though, are probably emerging markets. Um, where else can you get yields of 7, 8, 9% in dollar or euro or sterling bonds issued by emerging markets? And I think some of the fundamentals are looking more attractive for emerging market debt, but still lots of landmines. We saw over the summer Argentina get into big difficulties, bond price halves. So it's not without its risks, but if you're looking for absolute value, I'm thinking that's an area I should have more of in the portfolio over the next year or so. It may not be quite time yet, but in a world of zero yields, I think improving fundamentals in EMD, emerging market debt, probably makes some sense. Bruce Stout, manager of the Murray International Investment Trust, agrees that emerging market bonds, although riskier, look more attractive than their developed market counterparts. And at this particular point, we see uh, some very attractive opportunities in emerging market bonds. Now, the reason for that is the emerging world, particularly Asia uh, and Latin America, is really the only part of the world that has been following economic orthodoxy in the last uh, five or ten years compared to the developed world where they've been flooding the markets with debt and yields have fallen to zero. So it's possible to analyse emerging market debt and therefore it's possible to value them as being looking very attractive at the moment. So there you have it, a mixed bag, but a relatively positive one as we head into 2020. All of us at Fun Calibre would like to wish you a very happy and hopefully prosperous new year. And if you would like to hear more of our podcasts, please subscribe to Fun Calibre. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. <laughs>